Okay, today we are in the book of John, chapter 20, the most joyful chapter in all of the book of John. It is the story of the resurrection. As we look around the world today, people are staying home. People are doing anything to keep themselves occupied to forget what's happening in the world around us. As one person told me today, I don't even watch the news. It's too depressing. It's too sad. I can stand it for about 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, and I have to turn it off because all I hear is negative, negative, negative. Well, guess what? My world is not negative because Jesus Christ left that tomb empty. Amen? You go around the world, you can go to the tombs of the greatest spiritual leaders in history. You can go to these tombs, you can see the bodies, the remains. Guess what? For Christians, there is no tomb. There is no body because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. All right. There are five lessons today. Five lessons that you can take away as you go home today. Five things that you can learn from the resurrection in John chapter 20. So John 20, we're going to start in verse 1. The first lesson that you have to learn is this. Even in the saddest of times, even in the day of COVID-19, Jesus is just a step away. Let's take a look at this. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, headed for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Understand this. When God does something, God's people respond. Amen? It is a Sunday when there is no church. The doors are locked. People can't go out. We find a way to worship the Lord. Amen? We sit in the quietness of our homes. We open our Bibles. We sing to the radio. We worship. When we can't go into the building, we sit in the parking lot and we worship. And we receive that word from God. Why? Because Jesus is not held in a room. He's not held in a building. He is held in the hearts of those who believe in him. Amen. So the church isn't behind me. The church is in front of me. You are the church. And when God moves, it is time for us to move as well. How would he have us move? In the day of COVID-19, he would have us move by reminding people that Jesus could not be held by death. So Peter and John have rushed off to the tomb. Let's see what happens next. It says, stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrappings that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw, and believed. Now notice that sequence, people. He entered the tomb. He overcame his fear. Jews had a natural aversion to death. They had a natural aversion to tombs. Something about them made them uneasy. In fact, if you entered the tomb, if you were exposed to a dead body, then you were considered unclean. For the remainder of that day, you were unclean. So a proper Jew did not want to go into a tomb unless he absolutely, positively had to do it. So he went in finally and he saw that Jesus' body was not there. The linen wrappings were there, right where his body had been removed. Yet the wrappings around his head 
were not there. They usually placed a cloth over the face of someone who had died. They placed a cloth there so that the face could be covered and that the rest of the body could be wrapped. Now here's the thing. It says that that cloth was taken off, was folded, and put in a separate place away from the windings on his body. To a Jew, this was a very clear sign. When a man ate in his home, gentlemen, do not try this at home. When a man ate in his home, his woman stood obediently at his side and served him and gave him everything. And she waited to wait on him hand and foot. And when the master of the house was done, he would take that cloth that he wiped his face with. He would fold it gently and put it to the side. Why? That was the symbol that he was done and he was going to leave and not come back to that table. Now, if he simply wiped his mouth and sat it on his plate, it meant he was going to do something and he would come back. Jesus' windings were laying there because his body had been removed. But that face covering, that linen on his face, had been folded up just like a Jewish master would do to signal, I am done, I am not coming back. I am finished with this place of death. And that's what Jesus left for them. And perhaps that is why John, it says, saw and believed. Jesus had told them again and again, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. Now he saw it. Now he believed it. Remember, this is John writing his gospel. So he knows exactly what was going on in his heart. He knew what leaped up to his mind when he saw the whole thing. So here it is. Verse 9. For they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then his disciples went home again. So maybe Peter didn't believe, but it says John believed. When we see the saddest of times come on the earth, our job is to look for what God is doing. And when we see it, we believe it and we get involved in it. Charles Stanley always says when he fell in his home and he broke his hip, his first question was not, God, why did you do this to me? But, God, what are you trying to show me? Everything that happens in our lives is the Lord trying to teach us, trying to guide us. Look back over your life, my friends. You will see that at every turn in your life, every time your life took a different direction, it was God directing your life. He was sending you a different way. I pray that COVID-19 wakes up America. I wish it had never happened. I wish it was gone today. I wish it never had happened at all. It has brought death and misery to this country, but maybe it's also woken us up. Maybe it's also got us to see that life is short. Life is temporary, and we need to pay attention to what's going on in the spiritual world, not just what's going on in the financial world. So that thing is, even in the status of the times, Jesus is there. But go on. Verse 11, Jesus reveals himself to any of those who seek him. Anyone who seeks him. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside facing the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where Jesus' body had been laying. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she, didn't not, she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, he said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. I will take him home. It was wrong for me. 
for Mary to try and touch that body. She would be unclean as well. She would be contaminated. But her love for Jesus was so great, she was willing to risk that, to take care of his body, to put him in a place of respect where he would not be um, neglected or he would not be left out. So she asked Jesus, just tell me where his body is. I will take him home. And I love this part. Jesus said, Mary. He didn't make some long speech. He just spoke her name. Now Mary Magdalene had heard Jesus call her by name a dozen times, two dozen times. Her whole three years of experience with Jesus, he simply called her Mary. And when he said that, she knew it was Jesus. Do you know when Jesus talks to you? Do you know when the Lord is moving in your spirit? Do you know when the Lord is compelling you to do something? I know you do, because I know I do. I know my wife does. My wife is the more sensitive of the two of us. I know that's hard to believe, but there it is. She is definitely more sensitive, more kind, more caring, more loving. Hang around me more often. You'll see I'm not lying. My wife is very sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing. She'll say, do you feel that God is doing this? And I will look at my feelings, I will look at my heart, and I will agree with her, yes, I feel this is what God's doing. Because God speaks to us by name. He knows us. See, Mary was so covered with grief, she couldn't see that Jesus was right in front of her. But when he called her by name, her eyes were opened, and she could see it was Jesus. Again and again in the Bible, there are servants of God who get so caught up in the moment, caught up in fear, caught up in anger, that they don't see that God is at work. Even today, in the heat, in the mist, in all of the things that are going on, God is speaking to His church. He is speaking to you right now through His Word because He wants you to see something, to know something, to be ready for what lays ahead of us tomorrow. So He said to her, Mary, turning around, she said to Him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. He said, wait, don't cling to me. Jesus told her, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. What a moment that must have been. She had gone there in grief. She had gone there in sadness. And now she is coming back triumphantly saying, Jesus lives. He is risen. The Lord is back. What a wonderful message that we have to give to the world today. In the midst of death and sadness and disease, Jesus is alive. The Lord of the Christian church is not in history. He is not in antiquity. He is present in this place today. He is in that car with you. He is in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. And if you go to do something in his name, he is the one that will give you the power to do it. Now, many people think, oh, I can, um, I can ignore God when I'm young, and when I'm older, I'll listen. Don't do that. When you are young is when your ears are keenest, when you can hear. When you can hear, obey. Even if you don't quite understand exactly what it is, be obedient. Mary went there for one purpose and left with a completely different agenda. Now, John writes this account of Mary's encounter with Jesus because he was there, when she came back and said, this is what I've seen. But you see, there's another account that I love. It's the account in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 12, same story. But remember, Luke was not a disciple. 
He was not an apostle. Luke was a doctor, a physician, a Greek, sent to find out the story of Jesus. That's who he was. So he didn't just talk to one person. He just didn't get one perspective. He talked to many people. And this is what Luke says. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? They had encountered the angels in the tomb. He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day arise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to the rest. Notice the eleven were not alone. There were others with them. I'll tell you one person that was there and that was Mary, the mother of Jesus. How do I know that? Because on the cross last week, Jesus said to John, Behold your mother, and from that hour she entered his house. John took personal responsibility for Mary every moment after that because Jesus had instructed him to do so. So there were other people present in that room other than just the eleven. It says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now notice their reaction. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran from the tomb, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. So we see a little different side. It seems as though many of the people in the upper room didn't believe Mary and the other women. They thought they were emotional. They thought they were overcome. They thought they were seeing things. But no, they knew what they had seen. Only Peter and John reacted to what Mary said and they ran to see what was happening. When you give your testimony, church, when you tell people what you've seen, what you've encountered in the person of Jesus Christ, most people will think you're foolish. Most people will just go, oh, they're just a religious person. Oh, they're just old-fashioned. Oh, they're just stupid. Oh, they're just those people over there. But you know what? There's going to be a couple people. A couple folks are going to listen to you, and they're going to want to know the truth. And they're going to check it out for themselves, and they're going to find that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Like Peter, they're going to go away marveling at what they experience, either in a church in the Bible, or in some other encounter with Christ. Next one, Jesus himself will send the Holy Spirit. So you know what? He has said even the saddest of times, Jesus is there, right? And even to those who seek him in the sad times, he will reveal himself. But he will also send the Holy Spirit to those who seek him. John 12, 20, 19. In the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Notice Jesus didn't come knock on the door. Jesus didn't come and say, Hey, open the door. Jesus didn't come and open the door and walk in. He was there. He was there with them in the midst of them, suddenly and without any explanation. He was simply there. I can see how this would have frightened or made nervous those who were in that room because they know they had the doors locked. They were afraid of the Jews. And yet here was Jesus, the very one that they were mourning, the very one that they thought had died. Then Mary had come and told them and that Peter and John had come back and told them. And they're still wondering really what's going on. He says, peace to you, shalom, wholeness, wellness, a thing Jesus has said to them many times. 
Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Here it is. They had just seen Jesus. They had just encountered this amazing thing. And now Jesus is back to where he was in the prior chapters before the crucifixion. I have come, and now I'm going to send you. Yes, you're happy. Yes, you see me. Yes, you want a party. But guess what? You have a job to do. You have a message to bring to the nations and to the world. You're a church today. Unlike many people around the world, you got up, you got dressed, you got here. God bless you for being in this place today because you made that effort to hear the word. So Jesus says he's going to send you. He's going to send you back to work. He's going to send you back to your home, back to your families, back to your friends, back to your internet. And you're going to tell the world that Jesus lives. Some won't believe you, but some will. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now don't get upset. Pentecost is still 50 days away. The coming of the Holy Spirit in fire and in power is 50 days away. So what does he mean when he says, receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus is reenacting exactly what happened in the moment of creation. Jesus has said, was the instrument of creation. He was the one through whom God made everything. He made us in that first, first experience. He is the one who molded man from dirt, molded man from clay. And then it says, God breathed into him the breath of life. These men had been like dead men. These women had been like dead women because their Lord was gone. And now he put new life into them. Maybe this was a hard week, a sad week, a fearful week. But today, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Be renewed. Be refreshed. Be recreated. Jesus was the one who made the human race. Because he is God. Now he is recreating the human race as a new creation. Taking them from what they were to what he intends for them to be. Now notice he says this in verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This verse has always bothered people who read the Bible lightly. But you have to understand, this phrase comes directly from Jewish culture. Comes directly from the way the Jews saw the Old Testament. Because you see, the rabbis believed this. That when something was spoken on the earth... In the words of God himself, the very thing spoken on the earth was happening in heaven as well. And he's not saying that we have the power to forgive. <clears throat> he's not saying that we have the authority to bind someone to their sins or release them. What we have is the ability to say to people, if you come to Jesus, you will be forgiven. If you come to Christ, you will be set free. All we're doing is giving them the assurance that God's word gives us. If you accept Christ, you're saved. If you reject Christ, you cannot be saved. All we're doing is telling them what we've already been told. That's what's going on here. Finally, we come down, we see this. You see, faith sees first, and then it believes. John 20, 24. <clears throat> But one of the twelve, Thomas called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples kept telling him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the marks of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. How many people that you know in your family, among your friends, have said this exact thing? I've had it said to me, if God wants me to believe, he can come down from heaven, stand in front of me, proclaim himself, and I will believe in him. No, that's not how it works. You can see and believe that gravity exists. Go stand on top of a building. Throw a bowling ball off. Where's it going to go? Is it going to float? It's going to fall to the ground. That's gravity. I throw the bowling ball. It falls. I see it. I believe in gravity. If you don't believe in gravity, try jumping off a building. See what happens to you. It's not going to be good because gravity is a thing whether you believe in it or not. But you see, our faith in Jesus is different. Go on with this story. He says this, After eight days, his disciples were indoors. Among them, he said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but be a believer. What an amazing statement to say to Thomas. Thomas has been marked throughout the history of the church with this title, Doubting Thomas. Old Thomas didn't believe it until he saw it. Well, Jesus let him see it. But notice this. He said, if I don't do this and do this, I won't believe. Jesus says, well, come on. Here's my hands. Here's my side. Do it and believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Guess what, church? You are blessed. You have put your faith in Jesus Christ even though you've never seen him. You believe in the Christ of the Bible because you have read the word and your heart has leapt. You look at all of the evidence, all of the proof, all of the things that you see, and you know it's real. We are blessed because nothing can take away our faith. No physical thing gave us our faith. God gave us our faith. And so as a result, we have it. We put our, our trust in it. We are very similar to those who believe in evolution. We are very similar to those who are atheists. Atheists say, I believe in evolution. Guess what? The only problem with evolution is they have no proof. They can't prove it. That's why it's called a theory and not a law. So you see, the people who are atheists and those of us who are Christians are very similar. We trust in what we have faith in. Now don't tell an atheist that he has faith because he'll laugh at you. He doesn't get it. He's walking blind. Our faith is based on what we know based on the testimony of the generations who have gone before us and the word that is unchanged from the first century. He said, you see me, you believe, that's a good thing. But anyone who doesn't see me but believes, there's a blessing in that, there is strength in that, especially in this day and age. Everything we see on the media scares us. We are terrified by what the media puts out there. You may never have seen somebody with COVID. You may have never seen somebody hospitalized, but you see pictures and the pictures scare you. Well, guess what? I have seen God do great and mighty things. I have seen God heal people. I have seen people who were demonically possessed set free of that demon by the very name of Jesus. So I don't have to see it because I believe it because I know it's true. Amen.
You see, the world wants you to think that you're lesser because you have faith in a Jewish carpenter who died 2,000 years ago. No, I believe in a Jewish carpenter who rose from the dead and showed himself to be God Almighty. That's what I believe in. Not in a man who died, but in a, in a man who died and rose again and showed himself to be the, the creator of all things. That's faith. That's true faith. So if you look at this, it says this in 2 Corinthians. He who has prepared for us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so we are always of good courage. Church, be of good courage. The Holy Spirit abides in you. And the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of courage, of strength, of audacity. That is the Holy Spirit, a spirit of power and a sound mind. It says this, for we walk by faith and not by sight. I walk by what I know is true, not by what I see around me. If I walk by what I see, I will be too scared to leave my house. If I walk by what I see in the media, I would not be standing here in front of you. I would not be around people. I would be locked in a bunker with 20 feet of concrete between me and the world. I would have 80,000 rounds of ammunition and machine guns and landmines like some people have been buying lately. Although why they're buying that, I don't know. You can't blow up COVID-19. I mean, seriously. But I mean, if I wanted to live by fear, that's where I would be. But I'm here by faith because I know this is where God put me. This is where God put us. But not just for ourselves, but to take a message to the world. How do I know that? Look at the very last verses of chapter 20. The purpose of the gospel is to create faith. John 20, 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. John says it. I can't write them all down. There's too much. Remember, he stayed with them 40 days. And on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit came. So this was just too much for him to write down. But these things that I have written are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who was sent to save us, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. When you leave here today, you leave with a message of life. That even in a world of death and sickness and disease, we have life. We have hope because we know the one who holds the future. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. They said that today is supposed to be the pinnacle of this disease and this next week is supposed to be the most deadly week in the history of, of histories. And they're all ramping this up to be a horrible, overwhelming thing. Well, you know what? I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to go to work. And I'm going to go to work and I'm going to take care of my students. And I'm going to come home from work and be glad that I'm there. Be glad that I can be a witness, that I can be a testimony. I've had more chances to share Christ in the last few weeks than I can count. One of my coworkers keeps wanting to talk to me. He says, I was going to go to church and then now I can't go to church. And I'm like, well, you go to church. Turn on that radio, turn on the internet, find that good sound pastor, do the teaching, read the Bible. Oh, no, I, don't, I can't do that. I'm like, then what are you talking about? So we talk almost every day about his struggle for faith, his struggle to be a person of faith, but he doesn't know where to put his faith. He wants to put his faith in a church or a pastor or some person or some place, and you can't. You have to put it into the Savior of the human race. You have to put it into the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. This 
thing. This gospel was written so that you can believe. That means in the gospel of John, there is enough proof for you to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that by believing in him, we have eternal life. That's a message to take to the nation's people.